are so many questions out there which seek to polarize and divide, pull us apart. And uh, again, we have these advancements, so-called advancements in humanity with the social media space. And so it becomes very easy to put our opinion out there behind a face, uh, being faceless, uh, being safe. Uh, we, we wonder how many people would have opinions if we were sitting face to face over a cup of coffee. And we find ourselves in an environment where humanity really does seem to be in a mess. I think part of it, every generation, every century has had different things that uh, they've had to battle with, but I think the rise of human rights has had an unintended consequence. And so I believe in the motivation of human rights where the desire was that the weak would be protected from the strong, that their rights would be protected. But an unintended consequence, which I think has trumped the original intention, is that all it's done is entrenched the strong, because they have rights too. And so we've seen the strong getting stronger, and the vulnerable and the weak and the broken being more and more polarized and isolated and unprotected. In the 1890s, William Booth was asked a question of what he saw as the chief dangers to humanity. And we heard last week, and so I just want to quickly pull everyone into the story if you possibly missed it. But William Booth in the 1850s started what we know today as the Salvation Army. And what he saw was that the marginalized and the poor and the broken in society were not getting due care and due attention. And so his desire was to rally people in order to take care of them. In a sense, it was a human rights movement, but with the gospel at the core. And his desire was as we reached out, as they reached out to the vulnerable and to the poor, that they would be able to find a home in a community in a local church. But what happened is in England in the 1850s, 60s, 70s, in the Victorian era, is uh, the high class of society didn't particularly get on or particularly like the fact that the poor and the broken were sitting in their churches. Neither did the poor and the broken feel very much like they had a place. And so the Salvation Army, not as one of its core objectives, started planting churches because these communities started to find and respond to Jesus and they needed a place to be able to engage. And so in the 1890s, as the 1900s, as the, at the, the turn of the century, he was asked the question, what do you see as the chief danger to humanity? And this was his answer. The chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Spirit, will be Christianity without Christ, will be forgiveness without repentance, will be salvation without regeneration, will be politics without God, and will be heaven without hell. We know today that that is the same danger that we deal with on a daily basis. The same questions, the same dividing, polarized opinions, the same. And so as a ministry, as a pastoral team, uh, we've just felt it would be appropriate to look into this, particularly as humanity starts to emerge out of COVID. I think we have the option, uh, we, we heard uh, several months, if not even years ago, I lose track of time, of just don't waste a good wilderness. 
And the principle being that God can move in spite of the circumstances. God can reveal. And so there is something that we have an opportunity to take hold of as we come out of this, as there has been a reforming of the way that we engage with one another. And so we feel it's appropriate at this time that we don't just slip back. It was wonderful to go back to having drums. That's a good thing. Not everything was good before 18 months ago. And so today, I want to look at the subject matter of a danger of Christianity without Christ. What that means for us. And so we're going to look in the story, Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. Uh, what we do here as a practice is there's a collection of writings which point to Jesus Christ, which reveal Jesus, our Savior, and, uh, and the patterns of the kingdom of God called the Bible. And we will always read out of the Bible to make sure that we are aligned with what Jesus has for us. And so Mark chapter 2, it's one of the books in the Bible, and, uh, and we're going to pick it up in the story. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake, and a large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the collector's booth. Now Levi, for many of us, uh, we may know more familiar with the name Matthew. Okay, so Matthew and Levi are the same person. Mark uses the term Levi, so when I use the word Levi, just think Matthew. Is that right? We're an intelligent bunch. We can do that. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so this is my goal today, is that as we go through this text, maybe some blind spots, not maybe, I'm trusting that blind spots will be revealed to us of where maybe a part of our Christianity, a part of our following Jesus, has been without Him. And maybe you're sitting here and you have not yet made a decision to follow Jesus, and you have a hundred reasons why the church is unrighteous or broken. I want to say I agree with you and I could give you a hundred more. Because we are a bunch of people that are doing our best to follow Jesus, and we do have blind spots. And sometimes our Christianity is without Christ. And so together, we are going to learn today. We're going to allow the Spirit of God to reveal to us. And uh, I trust that we will leave this place with a few things revealed and that we would be able to follow Jesus a little bit better when we leave than when we came in. Is that all right? That's where we're going today. Okay. First idea. Mark chapter 2, verse 14. As he walked along, this is Jesus, he being Jesus, he saw Levi, Matthew, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Point number one, very simple, very basic, but good for us to remind ourselves is this, that at the core of Christianity is a person and an invitation. Follow me. Not follow a religion. Not follow a set of rules, not fo follow me. A person and an invitation 
to come into that story. And so we cannot talk about Christianity without Christ. We cannot talk about the subject and the danger unless we establish at the very beginning that Christianity at its core is around a person and an invitation. What could William Booth have seen in the 1890s or in the latter 50 years of the 1800s that prompted him to say, a danger I see is Christianity without Christ. What would he have witnessed? He had been working with the poor and the broken and the vulnerable and the excluded from society, and he had seen them come to Jesus, being able to be saved in the same manner as uh, the strong and the rich and uh, those with privileges in society. He had seen the same Jesus be able to save them, and yet they didn't have a standing or a place in society. And as he would have read his Bible and as he would have followed Jesus Christ, I believe that, uh, and this is conjecture because we, William Booth is not here and we don't get to ask him, but it could, it's very conceivable that what he saw was the weak, the marginalized, the broken, not having a place in society, being excluded from society and him reading the Bible and what Jesus came to do and therefore him saying, actually, I see a Christianity being expressed but it doesn't represent the Christ that I know. That's what William Booth could have seen. What would have caused Levi or Matthew to get up from his job and follow Jesus? What was so profound, what was so enlightening, what was so captivating about Jesus that that was the decision he made. And I want to put a little bit of context to what Matthew did here because I think it is quite significant to us. I think sometimes we can read the Scriptures and Jesus says, follow me, and in the next line it says, Matthew got up and followed him. Uh, it all seems a bit simple, a bit easy, and we don't necessarily get to the very depth and the heart of the matter. And so we're going to look at a little bit of who Matthew was from his vantage point because I think it could reveal some stuff in us as we go forward. In Mark's account, so we read Mark chapter 2, in Mark chapter 1, it speaks about the calling of the first disciples. So Levi was not the first guy that Jesus said, follow me to. The first group of people that Jesus said, follow me to, was to uh, Simon, who we know is Peter. I don't know why it just makes it to Levi and Matthew and Simon and Peter, and they're all the same people, or that, that Matthew and Levi are the same person, Simon and Peter. But we know him as Peter, uh, but the scriptures talk about Simon. Uh, he got renamed. But Simon and his brother Andrew, were the first people Jesus said, follow me to. And this is how the story unfolded. Simon and Andrew were fishermen, and they had mates, James and John, and, uh, and they would fish together at different boats, and, and, they, and they made their living from fishing. So that was their job. That was their job. They had been fishing all night, uh, and several nights before that, the Scriptures say, and they had caught nothing. They were having a drought within their job. They were under pressure in the same way that many businesses even represented here have been under pressure in the last 18 months. Piece of the context. Jesus comes to them, and, uh, and we're going to pick up the story. When he had finished in Luke chapter 5, verses 4 to 7, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, 
We have all worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Before I get on to, you can leave it up, but before I, uh, I get on to the next verse, we need to understand this. There are hum, a, a number of things wrong here. One, Simon and Andrew are the fishermen by profession who know what they're doing. Sunrise and sunset, we hear, I'm not a fisherman, uh, are the best times to fish. Jesus comes along after having had a great night's sleep. These guys have been working. They're really tired. They're going to knock off for the day. And Jesus starts talking to them. And you can imagine, I've been fishing all night. I don't really feel like a conversation from a stranger. And he says, hey, let's put the boats out. He's, no, Jesus. It's now like 9 o'clock in the morning. The sun is up. It, this is not what we do. But they had heard something about who he was. And so they say, okay, because you say so. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. So Jesus' invitation to follow me is on the back of a miracle. To Simon and to Andrew. So that's these guys on this side of the, the equation. Okay. Levi is sitting here in a tax booth. Levi's story is this. He's a Jewish man who has sold himself to the Romans. And so he has decided that as the Jews have come under Roman, uh, Roman oppression, I'm able to make a little bit of money if I act on behalf of the Romans and collect taxes from the Jews. And so he sits in a position where he is despised by his own people. But let's not also be foolish to think that he's a Roman because he's not. The Romans were using him. And any opportunity to get rid of if Matthew went, there would be another who would come for the paycheck. And so Matthew found himself in a position where he was not embraced by the people he was working for. He was not embraced. In fact, he was despised by the family he came from. And his job was to make sure that taxes got paid. And so Matthew would have been sitting in a position where if he had not seen the miracle of what had taken place with the catch of fish, because here Simon and Andrew made their money off of fishing, and so they would have had to pay taxes on that catch that nearly sunk their boats. If he hadn't seen it with his own eyes, he certainly would have heard about it because his responsibility was to make sure that, the Ro that Rome got the right amount of money from them. Okay, so we've got to understand context Levi is hated by these two guys, certainly, because he's made their life a misery for however many years of collecting taxes. Jesus has done a miracle, and now these two guys are following him. And now Jesus comes to Levi, probably, probably, with Simon and Andrew standing with Jesus behind him. And Jesus says, will you follow me? And in that moment, Matthew has a decision to make. He's despised by the Jewish nation, of which Jesus was one. A Jew was standing before him, saying, follow me. He knew that he would have no further job with the Romans. He knew he would never get a job with the Jews. And in this moment, the only job that he could do was tax collecting. And yet there was something so compelling about Jesus that the only place he could find his identity in tax collection, he felt that he could give up to follow this man. We've got to understand context when we understand Jesus and the invitation to follow a person. 
Because it's not just a religion. It is not just a way. There is a person at the end of it. Now, I'm not necessarily going to introduce Jesus right now, maybe a bit later, for Matthew. But there was something that prompted Matthew to make that decision. So now we have Levi, Matthew, who's hated by Simon and Andrew, or Peter and Andrew, and they're both following Jesus. Can you imagine how that went down? Christianity with Christ looks like people who are different, people who had held power over another, people who have been abused and the abuser, walking alongside one another following a person. So here we go. Christianity is an invitation to follow Jesus alongside people who do not look like you, do not think like you, and do not sin like you. Today we're going to look at two blind spots as we look at this walk with Jesus alongside people that don't think like us, don't look like us, and don't sin like us. And so I ask that you would allow the Spirit of God to get into the depths of your soul today. Because I, and I'm pretty sure all of you who have chosen Jesus Christ to follow Him, do not want to fall into the danger of living your Christianity without Jesus. Mark chapter 2, verse 16. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors. They asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? We know from the scriptures uh, that, that that question was not done so innocently as an inquiry like, hey, help us understand this. It was an accusatory statement with a question mark at the end. It was a, you're following this guy and these are tax collectors and sinners. This these guys are the part of society that you should not be dealing with. Similar to William Booth and the broken and the vulnerable and those outcasts uh, of society. We see without Christ, what we have to find is a righteousness in our own goodness. That's what happens when we are without Christ. A righteousness. We have to find a righteousness in our own goodness. And by definition, by reason and by logic and by intelligence, that means we have to set a set of rules. We have to position ourselves amongst a set of rules where we come out on top. And so at the heart of self-righteousness is a set of rules and a Christianity without Christ because every human knows that they need to be found righteous in some shape or form, need to be known as good. So to those that think they are righteous by their actions, the most common position we find ourselves in is judging ourselves by our intentions, but judging others by their actions. And so Jesus points this out in Luke chapter 6, verses 41 and 42. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, but pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. See, Christianity without Christ, it looks like this. 
It looks like us forgetting our own sin. It looks like us forgetting that we have also needed forgiveness. It looks like gathering around people who sin like us because then we can feel better that we're not alone. It looks like excluding people who sin differently to us. This is what a Christianity without Christ looks like. Looks like. And so as we bring this into today and some of our blind spots, we can know that we've fallen into the danger of a Christianity without Christ if we find ourselves excluding certain people from our togetherness. Peter and Andrew had to walk alongside Levi, Matthew, as they followed him. You see, we don't get to decide who we walk alongside. Jesus does. The only criteria is those who have recognized the need for a Savior and are prepared to follow the person of Jesus. So here's an example. Twelve disciples respond to the follow me invitation of the person Jesus Christ. All Jews, but have all participated in different things. It comes to a moment where all 12 are all together, and Jesus says, okay, I'm going to pair you up for the sake of the mission of God, two by two, and you're going to go out. I wonder if you've ever given any thought to how those twos got set up. What we know is this. So I, I can't just hypothesize. I, I do like to dream and create, and uh, in, in my fantasy world, I think I could be a movie maker. I don't think I'd be very good, but... At the very, very least, Levi was hated by everybody. So at least one of those pairs, at least one of those pairs would have had very high tension, if not drama, attached to it. My guess in how I've come to know Jesus is that every pair would have had tension and drama attached to it. Because Jesus, the manner in which I have seen him as I have followed him and as he works, is that I have a mission to save a world, and part of saving that world is your own righteousness. And what better way to deal with your righteousness than to put someone next to you that irritates the living daylights out of you? So the question for our blind spot today, in this first point that I've called black and white, is this. Who may Jesus have paired you with for your righteousness that you are walking away from? Who may Jesus have paired you with for your righteousness that you are walking away from? You see, Christianity without Christ looks very black and white. Another way of saying that, the scriptural way of saying that is legalism. It looks like I can justify my sin by my intention and I, just, and I uh, condemn your sin by your action. It looks like I look like this, I dress like this, and therefore this is the better way to do it. You don't, therefore, black and white thinking can be a symbol, it can be a, um, 
uh, a revelation, it's not quite the word I'm looking for, uh, black and white thinking can be indicative of living a Christianity without Christ. Because we follow a person and he's interested in saving a person. And people are uniquely made, they are uniquely different, we all share a common humanity. Don't hear from me that there is no black and white. There is no way to our Father in heaven but through Jesus Christ. There is no way to experience salvation but through repentance and accepting Jesus and His act on the cross. But when we are so black and white, where everything is defined and definitive, it looks like not following Jesus. It looks like a Christianity of rules, not a Christianity with Jesus. Because Jesus felt it to be okay to have a tax collector and somebody that the tax collector has made, whose life has made a misery as he's exacted taxes on the catch of fish, walking side by side, hand in hand, for they're both of their righteousness and salvation. Blind spot. Who may Jesus have paired you with for your righteousness that you are walking away from? Second blind spot. I'm going to call this gray. So we've got black and white, and we've got gray, all right? Mark chapter 2, verse 17. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. We talk about freedom so much today. We talk about freedom so much. The problem is when freedom is the goal, it can be a Christianity without Christ. Freedom is what we get when we follow Jesus. I'm a firm believer in freedom, in the freedom that the grace of God affords to us. However, what Christianity without Christ does is it distorts what freedom looks like. Jesus is quite clear in this text that it is the sick who need a doctor. What he's meaning by that is this, that your freedom is not just to carry on in its own shape and form. I loved what John said last week that we talk about authenticity a lot. This generation, one of the key words of this generation is authenticity. And, uh, and so everything's about, I want to be authentic, I want to be authentic, I want to be authentic. That's almost wonderful. The problem is your very authentic self is very sinful. And so the deeper you press into authenticity, you don't become better, you become worse. And so, without Christ, freedom is distorted. See, what Jesus does when we walk with Him is He becomes our guardrail from licentiousness. He becomes our guardrail from gray because Jesus is the center to which we are drawn. Because He is our object of worship, we don't worship freedom. Because He is our absolute truth, Our freedom doesn't lead us to relativism or relative truth. By way of example, I I, I briefly shared this with Jax this morning. She felt it might be a bit complicated, but I think I'm going to try and pull it off today. When Jesus, that's me setting you up to really pay attention. Don't prove my wife right in this incident, in, in in this moment, please. I need you to get this. I want to hit you. I don't know if you have ever had the privilege of either being flung around or flinging around 
your, your children or being a child as a father swings you around. You know that? You can picture that. You can kind of feel it in your brain if you haven't had the experience of it. Maybe you've been on a merry-go-round. Maybe you've been on one of those things in a park with that they have the poles that go out and you're running and you're running and you jump on it and it swings around and around and around. Okay, you get the, con- you get the concept of what I'm talking about. I need you to get that. All right. At the center of that, when you stand by the center on a merry-go-round, your movement is a lot more controlled and a lot slower. When you're on the outside of that, it's a lot quicker because you're covering more distance around the same access point. Can you follow me on that? So as you swing, the further out you are, yes, the more exhilarating the ride may appear, but the faster your life becomes, the harder it is to hold on. The force on the outside is greater than the force on the inside because of the acceleration. And too many people live Christianity without Christ because they're living this exhilarating, what they think to be an exhilarating life on the outside here, and they're spinning so fast, and they wonder why they can't control things. They wonder why their life is out of hand, and they're holding on for dear life, and every now and again, a hand slips off, and a hand slips off, and a hand slips off. But the ones that have drawn to Jesus Christ as they center and follow Him are having a beautiful, peaceful walk around, being able to watch things as they go, and their life seems to be in order. Everyone needs an encourager. What freedom looks like when freedom is the object, when freedom is the thing that we center ourselves around, it looks like us taking steps towards the outside of the merry-go-round. It looks like us taking steps away from Jesus to the furthest most part because that's where the exhilaration is. It's also when you come unstuck, the place that you fall the hardest. It also does the most damage. And therefore, licentiousness or gray, it's the, the, I've come for the sick because they need a doctor. It's not, I've just come for the sick. No, I've come to make you better. What does that mean? It means you're living on the outside. You're living on the outskirts. You're living this potentially exhilarating life or just this terrifying, fearful life, depending on what your adrenaline uh, risk threshold is. You're kind of hanging on for dear life, and you're wondering how you're going from day to day. And Jesus' invite is, hey, why don't you just come and take a step closer to the center point, and your life will become more manageable. It'll become more peaceful. You'll be able to walk with me as we go. We think the freedom's out there, but it's not. The freedom is here, where we get to enjoy life a little bit more. We get to see things a little bit better. Things seem to be in hand. And so a Christianity without Christ can look like, it can look exhilarating, it can look fast-paced, it can look even gray, like I'll get away with things. Grace, the grace of God is misunderstood because freedom is the goal, whereas Christ is the center point to which we're drawn. So what's our takeaway for today, friends? What's our takeaway for today? So we have an invitation from a person to follow him. And a Christianity without Christ can look very black and white because we choose relationships according to people who sin like us, look like us, think like us. 
which was not Jesus' method, or we choose to live in this gray of allowing ourselves to get away with things because it feels exhilarating uh, or it, it looks exhilarating or it looks like the right thing to do. If I were to sum up broad stroke, Christianity without Christ, I would say it looks like this. It looks like people moving away from reconciliation as opposed to toward it. So if you want to know, in my opinion, if you are living a Christianity without Christ, maybe in totality, maybe in parts of your life, it looks like this. It looks like taking a step away from reconciliation. And I'm not just talking black and white reconciliation. I'm talking humanity reconciliation. I'm talking making to be vaccinated and not vaccinated a polarizing decision, as opposed to sitting around a table and finding a way forward. Jesus, it's written of him in John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh, that's Jesus, and he made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Without Christ, we follow a version of Christianity, and that version by necessity has rules which are set according to our own sinfulness, according to the planks in our own eyes. A people who find ways to move toward reconciliation are people who are following Christ, the person, not Christianity, the religion. When I cannot move toward reconciliation, it means that I've not afforded the other party the same grace that Jesus Christ has afforded that person. Most likely, we find ourselves having extended grace to ourselves and truth to others. Jesus came extending both grace and truth perfectly. As we follow him, we become better at living a life with others. Christianity with Christ looks like better relationships. Christianity without Christ looks like exclusion, away from reconciliation, and it looks like William Booth's comment based on what he saw as evident of the local church. I close with this story. One of our elders, Ryan Fetter, he's normally part of the 10 o'clock service, this past weekend was coming home and uh, drove past a father and a son who were begging on the road. He was unable to help them at the time, but he drove home and he went and uh, he was moved by the Spirit of God. And so he sat his family down and he says, I see a father and a son. I'm going to go back to them. Uh, would any of you like to come? And his youngest son, Seth, said, I'd like to come. And Ryan, uh, for those that know Ryan, hospitality is his love language. And so he made them a meal. And, uh, and then he took Seth and he went to this father and son. And Ryan did not consider it beneath him to sit on the dusty pavement with his feet in the gutter full of rubbish with his son on his lap as he sat next to another father and son who were at opposite ends of the spectrum when it came to income ability and lifestyle and even following purpose. Ryan told me that story on Thursday. And I just thought, 
one, thank you, God, that you have gripped his heart. Two, thank you that we are led by men that would do that. And three, what a perfect picture of the gospel of our Christianity with Christ. Because too many times we would drive past someone and our first thought would be, they've probably got themselves caught up in something they shouldn't have and therefore deserve to be where they are. at best, we would have a neutral thought. At worst, we would think they deserve it, rather than actually just sitting and having a gospel conversation and a toward reconciliation conversation and starting to give this father and son, who with a tear in their eyes responded to Ryan's compassion and kindness and grace just to know their story. As it turns out, COVID had taken away his job, and he found himself in that position. It was nothing that he had. There were no sinful decisions, no poor decisions that had been made. He had just lost his work and unable to find any other. You see, a Christianity with Christ looks like us following a person, Jesus Christ, who puts us alongside people that are very different to us, that think differently to us, that sin differently to us. That is our story. I trust that some blind spots maybe have just been awakened in us. Maybe we live with too much gray in our own lives and too much black and white for the sake of others. And maybe we just need to reverse that a little bit. And so number one, we have an invitation to follow Jesus. Number two, not everything is black and white. Let's take the plank out of our own eye before trying to take the speck out of another's eye. Number three, not everything is gray. Jesus is our center. And number four, let's land ourselves moving towards reconciliation in every relationship that we have. Can we stand together? I'm conscious that there may be some in the room today who haven't yet heard Jesus' invitation to follow Him, to put your life in His hands, where He will be the Savior. We don't have to fight. You don't have to fight for your own righteousness, but He gives you righteousness because it was Him who gave His life as the price that was due our sinfulness in order to establish us in righteousness before our Father. And so if you are here today and you want to respond first and foremost to that, to say, actually, I've never put my trust in Jesus. I've never put my life in Jesus. I've never accepted to follow Him. But today I want to choose to follow Him. We can help you understand what all of that means and take your next step and next steps. But if you are here and you want to say, hey, Rich, I've never done that, but today I choose to follow Jesus. I'd love for you just to raise your hand, just that I can see you. Once I've seen you, you can drop it again. Because I would love to pray with you and just help you take another step forward. Is there anyone here? Thank you. Jesus, we want to thank you that your invitation to Simon and to Andrew and to Levi is the same invitation we have today to follow you. And we want to thank you that the same miracle 
the miracle for Simon and Andrew was that you provided for them. Maybe that was a salvation moment for them and their finances. We don't know. But we thank you that there's a greater salvation, an eternal salvation that you have given to us. And so I thank you for this gentleman. And we thank you that in this moment as he stands before you and says, I can't do it on my own and I give myself to you and I choose to follow you. I thank you that forgiveness follows that. There's a repentance. There's a turning away from his own life. And so we thank you for salvation in this moment. And for the rest of us, God, we would pray that we would not fall into the danger of living out our Christianity without you. How ludicrous that would be. And so, Spirit of God, just in these short minutes as we've opened up some of the Scripture and just some ideas, I pray that you would continue to take these and build them and take them far further than what I've said from the stage here that you would continue to reveal blind spots where maybe there's pieces of our Christianity that we are living without you or we've excluded you. You are the center to which we are drawn. And we will follow you alongside whoever you choose to partner us with. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, I want to thank you for being part of the service Please bring friends, keep pulling people into the story. Guys that you know have been a part of Anthem and uh, have maybe just got into some habits that uh, are not helpful, get them back into the building. We know that we need this. We know that we need each other. And so bless you. We pray on a Monday night, 5 to 6 p.m. in this auditorium. Come and be a part of it if you're able to. Otherwise, have some coffee, uh, hang out for 10, 20, uh, 15 minutes and uh, cross over with the congregation that's coming in at 10 o'clock. Get to know one another. Bless you guys. Have a great week.